As we prepare uh, to learn from God's word uh, this morning, I wanna take a few moments in light of what yesterday was about the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I want us as God's people to take some moments to pray. I know you've already been praying uh, for our nation, for our world, for people who have been impacted and are still being impacted. But I thought it would be important for us uh, to stop before uh, we open God's word and lift prayers um, concerning this anniversary. And so would you bow with me? I wanna invite you to pray uh, as I voice our prayers to the Father. Father God, 20 years have passed since that fateful day. And as we come before you, Lord, as your people, would you help us to remember and not forget? Lord, would you help us to remember to pray together for the families and the loved ones of those who lost their lives on September 11? Lord, please comfort them. Uh, as this anniversary returns uh, yet again. Be present, Lord, among them in their grief. And Lord, we pray for those who survived and still live with pain and trauma. Please, Lord, comfort and continue to heal their bodies and their hearts. Lord, be close to the brokenhearted. Lord, we pray for our nation as a whole. 20 years later, Lord, we ask today for your peace and your unity today. We, we plead with you, Father, to give our leaders the, the wisdom that only can come from you. Lord, may they, may they recognize their dependence on you. And Lord, help us, Lord, all of us as a people to seek peace with each other in the midst of all of our, our division and differences. And Lord, we also pray for peace uh, in our world. Lord, our world is, is uh, full of, of chaos and full of hate. And we, we know, Lord, that that all comes from the evil one, not you. And so we, we pray, Lord, that this, uh, this world in every nation would desire peace with their fellow man. We pray, Lord, that the, the love, your love, would be present. And Lord, we know that <laughs> That, that kind of prayer is, is lofty and high, but Lord, we also know that you can do infinitely more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And so Lord, we come before you, you who are the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we boldly pray that you would hear our requests, that you would answer in the name of Jesus, Lord, because of your glory, we ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Well, this morning we are launching a new series, as Brian said, it is called Louder, uh, Rising Above the Noise. And for the next several weeks, what we're gonna be doing is looking together at God's word, seeking to think biblically about this place in which we, we find ourselves. This place, 18 months into this COVID-19 pandemic. And this series is, is going to be about how we as a faith family, uh, a gathering of Christ followers can move ahead, not ignoring or denying what is going on all around us in our culture and our country, but keeping our focus on what matters most, what should matter most for us as Christians, and that is the gospel. Would you agree with me when you stop to think about where we are that our culture is filled with a lot of noise? 
And, and I think maybe you've found yourself this happening to you. I think it is very easy for us as Christ followers to just get drawn into that and to simply let the noise that is around us become the noise that is in us. I think it's very easy for us to let all of the noise that is around us begin to drown out what really matters the most. And what this series is about very, very simply is this. We want the gospel to be louder than anything and everything else in our lives, amen? See, as people, and we gather here as people whose eternities have been irreversibly changed by the cross, amen? We gather here as recipients of God's grace and mercy. We gather here as members of the only family that's gonna last forever, and that's Jesus' family. And if those things are true and those things are true, then the gospel must be loudest in our lives. The gospel must stand above everything that we are, that we do, everything that we say. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we keep the gospel central even during this unprecedented season which seems right now like it will never, ever, ever ever end, amen? I mean, how many of you thought six months ago, a year ago, that we would still be in this, right? We all thought it was gonna be over, and it's not over, and we don't know exactly when it's gonna get over. So how can we live? You know, how can we live, not in denial about the reality of everything that's going on around us, but how can we engage our world in such a way that our circumstances and our, our politics and our culture are not louder than our faith in Jesus Christ? And really, I mean, it's good sometimes to stop and think about how much has changed in the last 18 months. It's kind of mind-boggling. I mean, you know, 18 months ago, very, very few of us had ever even heard of the word coronavirus, right? None of us knew the name of George Floyd. Our economy 18 months ago was riding high. We, we did not in any way expect any kind of economic recession. I mean, if you were to like go back in time, even to the, the start of 2020, and, and if you were to tell someone that in a very few weeks this pandemic would start and it was gonna grip the whole world and that schools and businesses and churches would be forced to close and that protests and riots would, would fill our streets, that unemployment would reach levels not seen since the Great Depression, that face mask would be the new normal. I mean, if you'd heard all that, you would have thought that you were like, you know, reading a script for a new season of The Walking Dead or something. But it all happened, didn't it? And we've just been living through it now for 18 months and maybe, just maybe, we're moving toward it all finally coming toward an end. And I say maybe because we've all said maybe a lot of times before. And it seems at times like we're getting closer to moving past the pandemic. But the question I think I want us to ask is, are we? 
You know, medically, we don't know if another variant is coming our way or if another wave is gonna hit this winter and what it's gonna be like. We don't, we don't know when we will finally, finally reach that place where, where the pandemic becomes endemic and we begin to deal with COVID like, like we do other infectious diseases. But even when we finally do move past this season, I wanna suggest to you it's gonna take more than just taking off masks and stopping social distancing and getting shots to truly moving on. Because in many ways, I think the 18 months we've just gone through were about a lot more than the pandemic. They were about a lot more than a virus because really something happened to us over the last 18 months. And for many of us, it wasn't good. You know, I ask people as a pastor many times um, how you're doing. And you know what I've heard over and over again during the last few months? I've heard people tell me, you know, if I'm honest, I'm not really in a very good place right now. And when I ask what they mean, I get all kinds of answers. Some people are, are anxious about going back to work after all this time working from home and what that's gonna be like. Some people say their marriage didn't survive or it's hanging by a thread or at the very least it needs some serious work. Some tell me their kids went south and either it was distance learning or separation from their friends and those things just brought out all sorts of issues and, and conflicts. And, and some people will tell me they developed addictions or at least dependencies on everything from porn to pills. Many experience weight gain that they haven't been able to, to lose Many are dealing with different levels of anxiety and depression, and there's a lot of relationships that have suffered, friends and, and family, people that we, we loved and, and we did life with on the front end have ended up as like casualties because we fell on different sides of different issues or lifestyle choices. And have you noticed how just kind of collectively, it seems like almost all of us have fallen prey to our most base instincts. We gave into selfishness and what started off kind of almost humorously as hoarding toilet paper has kind of morphed into a full-blown self-serving me first against the world mentality. And we many times have stopped caring about other people and only cared about ourselves. And maybe you've noticed too that a lot of us have gotten really mean-spirited uh, the statistics tell us road rage has gone way up. I mean, we're always seeing videos online about fights in stores and fights in airports and fights on airplanes. That's all skyrocketed. And whether it's been in person or it's been online, many people are just perpetually hostile or they're constantly flying into a rage. And then spiritually, how many of you kind of thought, when things all got locked down for a while, I'm really gonna grow spiritually. I'm gonna have more time to read my Bible. How many of you have found 18 months later that that didn't happen? Spiritually, many would say, not many would say that it was a time of growth or of heightened intimacy with God because instead, of feasting on the scriptures and spending more time in prayer. We, we feasted on our news feeds and we spent a lot of time battling other people online. 
And of course, that only made things worse. And I think when you just put it all together, we can all agree that 18 months later, this has just done a number on us in a lot of ways. So here's the question, what is it gonna take for us as individuals and as a people we call Southwinds Church to come together and put COVID and, and all of the things that it's done in our lives and all of the things it's done in our community life and put those things behind us. And, and I started thinking about this this summer when I was on my study leave and kind of pondering you know, what we needed to be about as a church and where we needed to go. And then, and then at one of our pastor's meetings a little later in August, Chris Martinez shared a thought that, that just kind of crystallized this for me. And, and what he said became the, the title of the, the message, or the series that I'm gonna be sharing with you. He said, it seemed like there was just so much noise around us that COVID and our cultural conflicts were were endangering and maybe even drowning out our mission. And it seemed like we needed to find a way to make the gospel what is central, make the gospel louder in our lives. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead. And, and here's the thing. I mean, you know, what if, the, what if the things that we've been waiting to end, you know, all the stuff we've been having to do, what if those things are, are really kind of metaphors for some things that we really need to do to bring this all to an end. What if ending social distancing means more than just six feet? What if taking off our masks has to do with more than just cloth? And what if no longer hoarding means a lot more than just toilet paper? That's what this series is gonna be about. How do we, as God's people, begin to move past and through where we have been? How can we get to a place where we recapture our focus on what truly matters, where we can truly live the gospel louder than all the noise around us? So in this series, what we're gonna do is take five weeks to look at five ways that we can make the gospel louder. And these are five ways of living that all of us need to be doing. Maybe you're already doing them. Maybe you're not, but we all need to hear these truths and live out these truths in our lives. So let's jump in. And the first one is social distancing. You know, we're, we're kind of moving into a place where some of the rules are changing about that in some settings. Some settings it's said we can stop social distancing. Some, of course, it's not. But here's this first biblical key, this first biblical principle that I want us to apply. And I'm calling it stop social distancing. But I'm not talking about six feet. I'm talking about the social distancing that has taken place among many of us over the last 18 months, the social distancing that has driven us apart from each other, even those of us who are bound together through the love and life of Jesus. See, let's be honest. Let's be really honest about what has happened between Christians and even between people in this room. Here's how Timothy Dalrymple, who's the president and CEO of Christianity Today, put it. He said this in an article published a few months ago. One group within American evangelicalism believes our religious liberties have never been more firmly established. Another, that they have never been at greater risk. One group believes racism is still systemic in American society. Another, that the systemic racism push 
is a progressive program to redistribute wealth and power to angry radicals. One is more concerned with the insurrection at the Capitol, another with the riots that follow the killing of George Floyd. One believes the Trump presidency was generationally damaging to Christian witness. Another, that it was enormously beneficial. One believes the former president, the former president attempted a coup. Another, that the Democrats stole the election. One believes masks and vaccines are marks of Christian love. Another, that the rejection of the same is a mark of Christian courage. I think there's a lot of truth in that statement about how divided we are. But it's not just that we divide it in those ways. I think what has happened for many of us, and you're gonna have to look at your own heart and decide how this may be true for you, is that many of us have elevated these divides above anything and everything that used to bring us and bind us together. We have let these things become so central to our identities that some of us have allowed them to end relationships. Relationships with friends, relationships with family, relationships with your church family. And some of us, we haven't outwardly broken relationships, but we inwardly despise those people who think differently than we do. We have made those things louder than anything else, even the gospel. So what does God's word say to us about this place we found ourselves? I, I think God's word actually speaks very loudly about this in many ways. And you may be aware of this, maybe you're not, but the Bible makes it very clear that God's people have at many times in the past had significant, even severe disagreements that have led to relational breakdowns. One of the beautiful things about God's word, if you notice this, is it's utter honesty. The Bible doesn't deny, the Bible doesn't cover up, the Bible doesn't pretend. The Bible, the Bible just tells us how God's people sometimes act. And that's what we're gonna look at today. We're going to look at a true story about godly Christ followers who disagreed and who divided. And we find this story in the book of Acts. If you wanna get your Bible open or your device out and open to Acts 15, it's in verses 36 to 40. And this is the story of Paul and Mark. This is the story about a man named Paul. You know him probably. He's universally recognized as the greatest Christ follower who's ever lived. He's an apostle appointed by Jesus. And also there's this other guy, this younger man whose name was John Mark. Most of the time we just call him Mark. And Paul and Mark were sent out by the church in Jerusalem on what Bible scholars call Paul's first missionary journey. Their assignment was to travel around to different cities to spread the gospel, to plant churches. But before that journey was completed, John Mark left and went home to Jerusalem. He didn't finish what he started. And we don't really have any idea why. We have a lot of speculation. Some Bible scholars have speculated that he was homesick. Um, some wonder if maybe they changed their original plans, added some cities into the itinerary, made the journey longer. He didn't agree with that. He believed maybe he'd done enough. There's some potential indication that a shift in leadership took place. 
from a man named Barnabas to Paul. And Barnabas, when you read the Bible, you discover was, was actually, Barnabas was actually Mark's cousin and they were close. And maybe, we don't know, maybe Paul and maybe Mark had a personality clash. They just disagreed with each other. The point is we don't know what happened. All we know is that before the mission was done, Mark left the team, Mark went home. Now what we do know is what Paul thought about Mark and his decision. Paul thought Mark had betrayed them. Paul thought Mark had let everyone down and Paul's feelings were so strong that a couple years later when Barnabas suggested that they invite Mark along for a second missionary journey, Paul said, that's a hard no, no way. And here's how it's recorded for us in the New Testament book of Acts. Um, It goes like this, and we see these words on the screen. Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, but Paul chose Silas. So what happens? Well, Paul, the greatest Christ follower really in history, and Barnabas, who is, who is praised without hesitation in the Bible as this incredibly godly and wise man, they had a conflict, and it was so bad, it just broke their relationship. Paul basically said, if Mark goes, I'm out. And Barnabas said, if Mark doesn't go, I'm out. And so Barnabas took Mark and did his thing and Paul took Silas and he did his thing. And what we see is that Paul could not get over what Mark had done. In his mind, Mark had done something that could not be tolerated. Mark stood for something that Paul couldn't tolerate. So he couldn't be part of anything that involved Mark. And and it's kind of, I think, like some of these issues we've elevated to just deal-breaking status. You know, whether or not to wear masks, whether or not to get vaccinated, whether or not to be open or closed, who to vote for, what issues we support, what issues we oppose. And so maybe you could just kind of imagine that Paul was a pro-mask wearing, close all in-person services, get vaccinated out of love for others kind of guy. And Mark was a virus downplaying, let's keep meeting. When hell freezes over, I'm gonna get a vaccine kind of a guy. Now here's the point, and don't get distracted by any of this. It doesn't matter in this case who was right or wrong. What matters is that they allowed it to become a relational divide. So what happened? What happened to Mark? Well, it turns out that Barnabas giving Mark a second chance was a good call. Because we know, looking back now, that Mark not only continued to work for the strength and the growth of the early church, Mark even wrote one of the four biographies of Jesus that we find in the Bible that we call the Gospels. If you've heard of the Gospels, you'll know this word means good news. There's four of them. They're called Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And and that one named Mark was written by this guy, John Mark. But no matter really what Mark did later, 
we have to kind of look and wonder, was that the end of the relationship between Mark and Paul? Would that divide between them be the final word? And thank God we have the answer to that. Because years later, toward the end of Paul's life, the Bible records for us an interesting little event. Paul, you may know, wrote two letters to a younger brother that he was mentoring. This, this brother's name was Timothy. And at the end of the second letter, he puts this line into Timothy. And it's the kind of thing you could easily blow by. It's the kind of thing where if we didn't know the backstory, we might just like not even think about it. But remembering what happened between Paul and Mark, this verse is very intriguing. It's actually 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And it says this, Paul says to Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful for me in my ministry. Think about that. Paul asked Timothy to bring Mark with him because Paul valued what Mark would bring to his life's work. That means there has been this complete turnaround from where they had been. And now, instead of excluding him, he's including him. Instead of evaluating Mark as a liability, he sees him as a priceless asset. So whatever Mark did, whatever divide or disagreement they had, it was no longer relevant Paul was not gonna let that disagreement divide them anymore. So what happened? Well, in the terms that we're using today and in this series, I wanna say it like this. Paul and Mark, they were learning to live louder. Here's what I want us to see with the rest of our time. I wanna show you some helpful principles that I think are embedded in this story and also through the New Testament that we can apply to our lives today. And the first one is just comparing Acts 15 to 2 Timothy 4, those two passages. When you look at those two passages and think about them together, I think it's clear that through the lens of time, Paul and Mark obviously came to see that whatever it was that had divided them in the past was now meaningless. Here's how I would describe that for us. This is the, the way I would articulate the principle. We need to take the long view on today's issues. If we're going to live louder, if we're gonna keep the gospel preeminent, then we need to take the long view on today's issues. We need, in other words, to regain a longer term perspective. Have you ever noticed, this is just the way we live now and it, it is so insidious and it is so damaging. Every day, it seems like there's a new crisis that we're supposed to freak out about, right? Have you noticed, you know? And we don't even get over being mad about this one. Oh, I got a new one. And I wanna tell you, if nothing else, that's not the way the Lord Jesus Christ wants you and me to live, amen, right? And so we, we kind of get embedded in this, drawn into this cycle, and it never quits, it never stops. They want you to keep clicking. They want you to keep watching. They're making money off you, so you know, they want you to be mad. And as followers of Jesus, you need to say, no, I'm not gonna do it. And part of the way you can do it is take the long view on today's issues. Now go back to this situation. At the time to them, it seemed like everything. But evidently, the more time passed, the less the things that divided them mattered. And I just wanna ask you to do a thought experiment. Won't that likely be the case 
for many of us. I mean, try to stand outside of the fall of 2021, wherever you find yourself right now, and just tell me truthfully, do you really think in five years, or maybe even three years, or maybe even one year, do you really think that Will whether one person got vaccinated and another didn't? Or will whether one person advocated for vaccines and another didn't, will that really matter then? Will we really see that as the basis for breaking relationships with someone we used to love? For breaking relationships with God's family? Now, in terms of Jesus and the mission that we are called to collectively pursue during the short span of time we have on earth, I think the answer is, is no. And maybe it'll take longer than a year, maybe it'll take longer than five years, but sooner or later, we're all gonna be there. And that should cause us to think that the things that we have inflamed and the things that we have enlarged, I mean, and just let, be honest about it, that's exactly what we've been doing for 18 months. Those things will be inevitably, sooner or later, they will be trivialized over time. They will not be as important. And if, I wanna say this, please listen to me, if you don't agree with this, because right now you cannot let go of your anger, you cannot release your outrage, you cannot set aside your concern, will you be willing to ask yourself if you are elevating a temporal issue above the gospel? I don't know if it would be true in all cases But could it be that some of us have elevated some of these issues that we're dealing with into a place where they can only be called idolatry in biblical terms? And let me say this too. If what you're thinking about right now is more about trying to figure out where Pastor Mike is coming from, if I'm trying to advance a right wing or I'm trying to advance a left wing agenda, if that's what you're thinking about rather than listening to the Holy Spirit and asking honest questions of yourself, could it be that you are more interested in the noise of your issue than in making the gospel louder? Just in case you're not hearing me, I wanna be really clear I am not saying that we need to give up our opinions. I am not saying that we need to set aside our our convictions. I have plenty of cultural and, and political convictions that I hold in humility and great accuracy. I think some of you are wrong about some stuff, okay? <laughs> and I'm willing to talk about them with somebody who wants to discuss. I mean, no, no problem there at all. Um, and I do believe that truth matters. I do believe that some opinions and some convictions and some positions are in error, biblically speaking. This is not about whether truth is absolute or not. I am not in any way saying that truth doesn't matter. I am saying that all of us need to live in humility and love. And I am saying that some of us have not been doing that. I am saying that humility and love 
means that we need to keep our opinions and our convictions in the place where they belong. And that is in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is in submission to the gospel. That is behind the great commission. That is behind what God has called us to do and to be. That's what I'm saying. And that's, I think, what happened for Barnabas and Paul and Mark. But I think that's not all that happened between them. There's a second and there's a far more powerful and significant thing. It it kicked in, I think, when they got to a certain place and they all chose it intentionally. There was this intentional return to the practice and the embrace of grace. And here's how I would put the principle for us. In everything, practice grace. In everything, practice grace. Let me just ask you, please raise your hands on this. Do you believe that God calls you to be gracious at all times in everything? You can put your hands down. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands on this one. Do you actually do that? In everything, practice grace. See, the grace given to us so freely and undeserved from Jesus, that was then meant to be passed on freely to others. And let's just remind ourselves what grace is. There's a lot of definitions, a lot of good ones out there. Let me give you one. This is a great definition. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do. And grace is always a gift we receive. It's never something we earn. And not only is grace at the heart of the Christian faith, it's meant to be at the heart of the Christian life. And I wanna give you a couple of important verses about this. You know, if you've been memorizing verses during our Psalms uh, summer challenge to read the Psalms and memorize verses in the Psalms, and and I know some of you are looking for more verses to memorize, okay? Um, Here's a couple, these would be great to memorize. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Anybody think they could find some use for that verse this week? Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Maybe it would be a good idea before you post that post on Facebook or you post that post, uh, that tweet on Twitter or you post that post on Instagram. Maybe it'd be a good idea to put that verse in there and then say whatever it is you're gonna say. Maybe you wouldn't be able to make that post, huh? Practice grace in everything. Practice grace in everything. And here's the thing. How many of you are for grace from God for you, for for your sins to be forgiven? Yes, I vote for grace. How many of you are not so sure when it's about me giving grace to that other person? So we like to talk about grace. We love to be on the receiving end of grace. That's that giving part of grace where it gets a little tricky, right? But see, if grace is truly going to be a part of your life, it has to be not just receiving. It must also be giving. Uh, I know a number of you... um, during the last 18 months, gave blood to the Red Cross. We had several 
blood drives right in this room. Some of you laid right over here in this area on a, um, a stretcher or whatever they call those things and you gave blood right here or out in the lobby. We did that a number of times. I don't know if you know anything about the founding of the American Red Cross, but the founder was this remarkable woman named Clara Barton. And a friend of hers once reminded her of an especially cruel thing that someone had done to her many years before. And Clara didn't seem to recall. Her friend pushed and said, don't you remember it? And Clara Barton replied, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. It's a great line, isn't it? She distinctly remembered forgetting it. See, that's about dispensing grace. So just think about what our Paul Mark issues have been over the last 18 months. And there's different ones for different ones of us. But the heart of them have been about disagreeing with other people, right? And our natural uh, default mode when it comes to others is simple. And this just, this just plays out in marriages and it plays out in churches and it plays out in neighborhoods and it plays out in places where we work. And it's, it's one of the most divisive and cancerous things that can be done. And it's this, you should be like me. And over the last 18 months, it's been, you should think like me. You should feel like me. You should make the choices I'm making. You should follow the lifestyle I'm living. And if not, you are bad. You are wrong. You're evil. You're wicked. And I can't even be in the same room with you. I cannot tolerate this. And we critique and we condemn and we really are focused on how other people are different than us. So how do we change that? How does grace change that dynamic if we practice it? And I just wanna give you another statement that some of us practice, but some of us don't. We all need to learn how to do this if we haven't, and it's simply this, agree to disagree agreeably. I'll give you two more verses. That's four verses you need to memorize now, okay? Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Well, how do we do this? Well, I think the next verse helps us. Romans 15, seven says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let me ask you a real quick question. Think about it for a couple seconds. I think you'll get the answer real fast. Did Jesus Christ demand that you fix all your opinions, you straighten all the things wrong in your life out before he received you? Do you have higher standards than Jesus? Accept one another then. How? The same way Christ accepted you. And why do we do that? What's that last phrase? In order to bring praise to God. Just ask, have the way you've spoken and interacted with some people, maybe in person or online over the last 18 months, have those ways not brought shame, praise to God, but shame on the cause of Christ? We accept one another, how? the way Christ accepted us. Why? To bring praise to God. Grace says we agree to disagree agreeably. And I'll just make one thing, observation that occurred to me um, really late in my preparation 
you know, yesterday was 20 years of celebrating 9-11. Isn't that kind of what happened in our nation? Didn't we come together in a lot of ways in unity when we were attacked? See, it's possible to do. We did it then, we can do it now. And so it doesn't really matter. You can pick your topic. And I don't know how worked up you are about all these things or not, but uh, just pick your topic. Vaccines, masks, COVID statistics, lockdowns, school closings, Fauci. People are just divided on like everything, right? See, grace steps in and grace allows us to say, it allows two people to say, you know what? I disagree with you on that. But there's no way something as ultimately temporal and superficial as this is going to undermine my relationship with you, much less our relationship through Christ. It's not going to happen. I know I may have gotten heated about it a time or two, but I'm sorry for that. We disagree, but I love you. And it doesn't matter which of us is right or wrong. We are both so sin-stained and sin-soaked and in need of grace from God that all we can really do is fall into each other's arms and weep with joy at our salvation, weep with the joy of knowing that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we will be brothers and sisters into all eternity. And then even a year from now, we should just ask ourselves, are we really gonna feel like any of this was substantial enough to end a relationship, to separate from a friend, to become estranged from a daughter or a son or a mom or a dad, to decide to leave a community of faith. Have you noticed this? That one of the things grace does is it diffuses things. A lack of grace inflames things. See, here's what's been going on. Satan He despises grace. He despises its saving work more than anything. And so he wants to eradicate grace from human experience as much as possible while simultaneously just fanning every flame of ungraciousness that he can. In the last 18 months, he's been drunk on it. It's it's like been a playground for him. So the first principle for us seeking to put this season behind us, seeking to move ahead, preeminently seeking to make the gospel louder than all the noises, just stop social distancing. And again, not in terms of six feet, but in terms of the divides and divisions and relational breakdowns that are fueled by a lack of grace. Stop social distancing by getting on the giving side of grace. And if you're wondering, you know, Mike, are you saying that I should go after the broken and strained relationships in my life and I should just apply copious amounts of healing grace to those? My answer would be yes. That's exactly what we're talking about. And I know it's not gonna be easy, but I guarantee you not only will God show up when you exercise grace towards others, he will help you to give that grace out. And there are people There are people who have given it out for much harder things and for much deeper relational divides, I think, than anything you might be feeling. Let me tell you, in closing, a famous story about one. In the late 1930s, a woman named Corrie Tinboom was a middle-aged woman living in a small town in the Netherlands, and to this day, it's better known as Holland, 
Her family was horrified by what the Nazis were doing, especially against the German people of her country. And so Corey, along with her family, began to hide those people most threatened within the walls of of their home. And, And some of you have actually been there to this day. You can go and tour this home and you can see the wall behind which so many Jewish people were hidden and protected from capture and imprisonment and death. Well, eventually, the Tin Boom family was discovered and she was sent uh, first uh, with her family to a prison built by German occupying forces for political prisoners. And not long after that, she was transported to a place deep in Germany, a place whose name struck terror uh, whenever it was heard. Corey was sent to Ravensbrück, the notorious women's extermination camp. Her father died within the first two weeks of his arrest And then Corey and her sister went through the horrors of Ravensbrück where her sister eventually died and somehow Corey survived. Despite the humiliation, despite the beatings and the deprivation, the starvation, the sickness, the stench of living there, she survived. She actually was released on a clerical error just a week before she was scheduled to enter the ovens. And Corey Tinboom spent the rest of her life, she lived for almost a century, she spent the rest of her life speaking of Christ's love and forgiveness, his mercy, wherever she went. And eventually her story was captured in a best-selling book called The Hiding Place. I'm sure some of you have read this book. And it was years after World War II ended that she was in a church service in Munich, Germany, and she saw him. He was a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, but she remembered him in a different uniform. He was the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. And she saw him that day in Munich as she had years before in a blue uniform and visored cap with skull and crossbones and a leather riding crop. And she remembered that she had been forced to walk past him naked, past this leering, laughing cruel man. And throughout the passing of the years, this was actually the first jailer that she had seen since her release. And she said, suddenly it just all returned to her. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, her her sister's pain-stricken face. And this man in that church came to her. And he said, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. To think, as you say, he has washed my sins away. And then he thrust out his hand to shake her hand and he told her what she already knew. He said to her, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, would you forgive me? And Corey Tinboom thought to herself, I could not. My sister died there. My father died there. You were going to kill me. This is too much to ask, too much to erase, too much to forgive. And so she who had spoken so often to so many for so long about the need to forgive, she kept her hand out her side. 
But undaunted, this man kept his hand outstretched and she just looked at it. She knew that forgiveness was not an act of emotion, but an act of the will, that it was a decision and it was a decision that would echo throughout her life. And suddenly she thought to herself, Jesus died for this man. Am I going to ask for more? And so she prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. And, and she tried to smile. She struggled to raise her hand, but she could not. She said, I felt nothing, not even the slightest spark of warmth or, or charity. And so she prayed again, Lord Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And then she shook his hand. And she said that when she did, the most extraordinary thing happened from her shoulder along her arm and through her hand, it was like a current seemed to pass from her to him while into her heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed her. And that love and that grace can spring into your heart too. It really needs to spring into our hearts, to your heart, my heart. It really is true. We should hear the word of the Lord today, friends. Let's stop social distancing. Let's repair relationships wherever they've been broken. Let's share the grace that Jesus has shared, given freely with us. This is the word of the Lord for us today. All God's people say, amen. amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray?